ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we had been looking at some of the narrations that were talking about issues of slaughtering an animals there was the hadith of shaddad ibn aws radiyallahu anhu anna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qaal inna allah kataba al ihsan ala kulli shay fa فأحسنوا القتلة وإذا ذبحتم فأحسنوا الذبح وليحد أحدكم شفرته وليرح ذبيحته In this hadith which is in Sahih Muslim the Prophet sallallahu informed us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed ihsan upon everything. Ihsan meaning that a person performs his action with perfection, performs his actions, his deeds, his worship in the most perfect of manners. And that's why in the hadith of Jibreel, when the topic of Ihsan came up, when Jibreel mentioned, Akhbirni anil Ihsan, tell me about Ihsan. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had replied, An ta'bud Allah ka annaka tarah, fa in lam takun tarah, fa innahu yarak, that you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as though you can see him, and of course you cannot, but you know that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees everything you do. Therefore, ihsan is that you do things with perfection, in the best of your ability, in that worship, in that obedience. Same even in slaughtering as this narration mentions, Slaughtering an animal, it is from the mercy of Islam that it is prescribed, you do it with ihsan, when slaughtering, with perfection, such that you do not cause distress to the animal, so that you do not cause hardship to the animal, so you perfect the slaughtering. Use a sharp knife as the narration says and make it comfortable and easy for the animal when you slaughter it. And do not make it painful and long and something distressing for the animal. And so that's why when you slaughter the animal, the goat, the sheep, you are supposed to do it somewhere where the other animals cannot see. Because if you do it in plain sight of the other animals, then that will cause them distress. It would cause the other animals distress to see the other one being slaughtered. Therefore you do it in a place hidden from the view of the other animals. The narration says, use the sharp knife, not the blunt one that will cause pain and an elongated death for the animal. So perfection is prescribed in all aspects of the religion. It is prescribed in all of the worship that you do. Thereafter, we had come to the narration of Jabir ibn Abdullah. In this narration, it had mentioned 
حرم رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم خيبر الحمر الإنسية ولحوم البغال وكل ذي ناب من السباع وكل ذي محلب أو مخلب من الطير. That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم on the day of Khaybar made it haram to eat the meat of domesticated donkeys and also the meat of mules and also all of the predators that have the canine teeth and they kill, they are from the carnivores and also the birds that have the talons the claws and they are like predatory also those types of animals were made prohibited in that narration we were going to go through a list of various different types of animals that are permissible to eat and animals that are impermissible to eat but we'll have to postpone that to the next session So remind us next time we'll come back to it to mention the list of all of the various different types of animals that are permissible to eat and those that are not. Today then we move on to the narration of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma qal qal rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لعن الله المتشبهين من الرجال بالنساء والمتشبهات من النساء بالرجال رواه البخاري This hadith now which is in Sahih al-Bukhari the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah curses the men who imitate women and the women who imitate men. Allah curses the males who attempt to imitate the women and the women who attempt to imitate the men. Here now the Sheikh he mentions Al Asl Fi Jamil Umur Al Adiya Al Ibaha. Normally in your worldly affairs the default is that everything is allowed unless something is mentioned in the texts that it's impermissible. So when it comes to your clothes, anything is allowed, as long as it covers the aura, etc., the conditions, any type of clothing would be allowed. Except anything the sharia prohibits specifically. But by default, anything. When it comes to buying a car, anything you want, it's all allowed. So when it comes to these types of worldly affairs, the default is everything is allowed unless there is something in the Qur'an and Sunnah prohibiting a certain affair. فَلَا يَحْرُمْ مِنْهَا إِلَّا مَا حَرَّمَهُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ So nothing is haram except that which Allah and the Messenger have made haram. Otherwise the worldly affairs, it's permissible. Whatever you may wish to do. إِمَّا لِذَاتِهِ كَالْمَغْضُوبَ وَمَا خَبُثَ مَكْسَبُهُ فِي حَقِّ الرِّجَالِ وَالنِّسَاءِ وَإِمَّا لِتَخْصِيصِ الْحِلِّ بِأَحَدِ الصِّنْفَيْنِ كَمَا أَبَاحَ الشَّارِعُ حِلَّ لِبَاسِ الذَّهَبُ وَالْفَضَّ وَالْحَرِيرِ لِلنِّسَاءِ so sometimes not So certain types of things are impermissible, like something which has been taken by force, 
something that was taken illegally, then that would be haram. Or for example, specifically the example of gold and silver and silk. For women, gold and silver and silk is permissible. But for the men, it is impermissible. The men are not allowed to wear silk. The women are. The men are not allowed to wear gold. The women are. So you have certain things that may be permissible for some, like the women, and they are not permissible for men, like gold, like silver, like silk. وَأَمَّا تَحْرِيمُ الشَّارِعِ تَشَبُّهُ الرِّجَالِ بِالنِّسَاءِ وَبِالنِّسَاءِ وَالنِّسَاءُ بِالرِّجَالِ فَهُوَ عَامٌ فِي اللِّبَاسِ وَالْكَلَامِ وَجَمِيلَ أَحْوَالِ This hadith now particularly says that Allah curses the men who imitate women and the women who imitate men. But what does it mean, imitate? Imitate how? The men who imitate women and the women who imitate men. But how? What type of imitation are we talking about? Anyone? Clothing, hair, walking, talking, appearance, behavior, makeup, all of those answers are correct. Imitation in any sense. We know there are certain characteristics that are characteristics of the women. Their clothing, the way they talk, their behavior, whatever it may be. A man imitates any of those characteristics, then he's under the narration of imitating the women. If he imitates in the types of clothes that women wear, or he imitates in the hairstyles that women have, or he imitates in the appearance, shaves his beard and makes his face smooth, like that of a woman, or imitates them in the manner of speech, or walking, or physical other aspects of appearance. Any type of imitation, In whatever respect that may be, a man imitates a woman, then it is haram and the curse of Allah upon him. And the same for the opposite. A woman imitates a man in whatever respect from the affairs that are affairs of the men. She imitates the man in his clothing, imitates the man in his way of talk and speech and voice, imitates the man in the characteristics of a man, the man who is prescribed to go out and to earn and etc. And the woman wants to go out and be dressed in whatever she dresses and work and do various things and be in the role of the man. All of the imitation in whatever sense it may be, it is impermissible. For the men to imitate women and for the women to imitate men. We can say that there are three overall areas. There is one area where both men and women participate in. There may be certain characteristics, certain issues where men and women both do. They both participate in certain things. Men do it and women do it and that is the norm, that is the natural way. Those types of things that both men and women do, they are both participants in those things 
then there is obviously no imitation involved in that. That is something naturally the man does and the woman does. That is something where both genders engage in. So things that both genders do by default in nature, that is the way they are. There is no imitation in those affairs. Imitation is obviously in things that are specific to men and women try and do that. Or things that are specific to women and men try and do that. وَمِنَ الْحِكْمَةِ And nowadays that is something clear. It is something apparent and obvious. The imitation of the men to the women and the women to the men in the clothing. And even now when you see the fashions and for the men, the way that they are designed and the women and their fashions and the way they are designed in order to make it something that overlaps the genders. The clothing of the women resembling the clothing of the men and the clothing of the men resembling the clothing of the women. That is why some scholars, some, some scholars have said that it is impermissible for women to wear trousers, pants, jeans, trousers. Some scholars have said it is impermissible for women to wear those. What about in the home or under the outer covering when they go out underneath unseen in the home with the husband some scholars said still not allowed why because of this that type of garment it is by default recognized throughout history and cultures to be of the men the trousers and that's why even to this day you have the phrase, such and such wears the trousers in the household. True. That is because of the culture and the history that it is built upon and established in that that type of clothing is by default recognized for men. So some scholars have said because of that, it would not be permissible for women to wear those garments ever. And that is the opinion of some of the scholars regarding that. Others may say it is not such an issue, it's going to be in the home, nobody's ever going to see that. There is no real issue of imitation. But nevertheless, the point here being that this imitation certainly occurs, and particularly in our time now, it is becoming more and more with these issues of gender and issues of uh, your sex, male, female, or something other than that. All of these types of things are now coming out further and further into the field. So here the narration, it mentions the impermissibility of imitation of one gender to the other. وَمِنَ الْحِكْمَةِ فِي النَّهِ عَنِ التَّشَبُّهِ أَنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى جَعَلَ لِلْرِجَالِ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ دَرَجَةً وَجَعَلَهُمْ قَوَّامِينَ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ وَمَيَّزَهُمْ بِأُمُورٍ قَدَرِيَّةٍ وَأُمُورٍ شَرْعِيَّةٍ فَقِيَامُ هَذَا التَّمْيِيزِ وَثُبُوتُ فَضِيلَةِ الرِّجَالِ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ مَقْصُودٌ شَرْعًا وَعَقْلًا فَتَشَبُّهُ الرِّجَالِ بِالنِّسَاءِ يَهْبِطُ بِهِمْ عَنْ هَذِي الدَّرَجَةِ رَثِيعًا وَتَشَبُّهُ النِّسَاءِ بِالرِّجَالِ يَبْطُلُ التَّمْيِيزِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon absolute wisdom has given different roles to the men and to the women. The men have been given the role of looking after the household to earn and to feed the family. They've been given this role of superiority in those affairs in guarding over their families. And the women in Islam have been ennobled, have been given honor, more honor than you will find anywhere else with any other people on the face of the earth. 
the Muslims al-Islam, how it honors the women, but it gives the women their particular roles within al-Islam. So when the women attempt to take on the roles of the men, as it has occurred amongst the misguided, occurred amongst the intellectuals. So some women, they came and they said, we need to be equal with the men. We should be able to lead the Jumu'ah prayer on a Friday. Why is it only the men who are allowed to lead the Jumu'ah prayer? We should be able to lead and do the khutbah too. And why is it only the men who are allowed to be the imam? We should be allowed to be the imam and lead the prayer. So some of them in the recent years, they came with this and they began doing it. And so you have some cases in certain places where it is a woman who goes upon the mimbar on a Friday and gives a khutbah and there are women sitting in front and men in that jama'ah, in that khutbah, in that particular place. And this is from the corruption of those people, from the corruption of their understanding of the Qur'an and Sunnah, the corruption of their minds and the whisperings of the shaitan that have misguided them far from understanding what Allah has prescribed in the Qur'an and Sunnah. And that is the same with the men. Those men who allow that, and those men who propagate that, that it is good a woman should give the khutbah, then this is not what Allah and the Messenger have prescribed. Our religion is Qur'an and Sunnah. It is not the ideology and the rationale of the time that we live in, equal rights and equal this and equal that. And so the woman has to give the khutbah on a Friday, and the woman has to be the imam, she should be able to lead the prayer. That is from the shaitan, the deception of the shaitan upon the masakeen. Allah has ennobled and honored the women in al-Islam, given them an honor that no other women of any other race, religion, culture, can claim for themselves. Allah has given that to the Muslimat, an honor not rivaled or equaled by any other religion or any other people upon the face of the earth, upon the wisdom of Allah that He prescribed the roles for the men and the roles for the women. And so that is what we abide by. And we do not follow our desires and the deception of the shaitan into believing that the women need to go onto the member and the women need to lead the prayer. Even from the simplest of logic, I recall approximately 20 years ago, 18 years ago, there was a woman who questioned, came with a question, and the question was, why do women have to stand in the back rows of the jama'ah? In the hadith it mentions, خَيْرُ صُفُوفِ النِّسَاءِ The best of the rows of the women are the back rows, and the best of the rows for the men are the front rows. So this one person a long time ago asked this woman, asked this question, why do the women have to stand at the back? Why do the men get to stand at the front and the women stand at the back? Why can't the women line up ahead at the front? So from very basic logic, a reply was given, if the women are standing in the front rows, then that means you're going to be exactly in the eyesight and the vision of all of the men behind you looking at you. Do you wish for all of the men to be looking at you? You're going to be stood in front of the men and you're going to be in the eyesight of the men, going into ruku'ah, into sujood, 
You wish the men to be looking at you from behind as you pray. And that was the end. She was happy to pray at the back now. So a person needs to understand the details of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and how Allah has prescribed all of this Sharia upon wisdom, upon wisdom in every affair. So then, imitation in whatever style, whether it's how you talk, whether it's how you dress, and whatever it may be, then it is impermissible Islamically to do so. And the narration here tells us the curse of Allah be upon the man who imitates the women and the women who imitate the man. A very similar hadith which is mentioned on this is the narration that says, مَنْ تَشَبَّهَ بِقَوْمٍ فَهُوَ مِنْهُمْ that whomsoever imitates a people, then he is from them. And that refers to more than just imitation of men and women. That then goes on to talking about imitation of the kuffar too. Imitation of the kuffar also. Whomsoever imitates a people, then he is from them. And that's why when it comes to the Muslim in terms of your hairstyles, in terms of your garments, then it is not appropriate to imitate the kuffar. So the women, for example, with their hair, it is permissible to cut the hair, it is permissible to style the hair, it is permissible to dye the hair, permissible to do all of those things for the women with their hair, as long as with one condition, they do not do their styling and their cutting and their dyeing or whatever they do with their hair in imitation of the styles of the kuffar. As long as it is not in imitation of the styles of the kuffar, a certain style comes out amongst the kuffar, the kafirat are known for it, and the muslimat should not imitate that hairstyle. But generally, cutting, styling, Dying, generally it's permissible with the permission of the husband. Otherwise, it's allowed as long as it is not imitation of the kafirat. Same for the men. With the hairstyles, hairstyles, cutting it, keeping it long, short, allowed as long as it is not in imitation of the kuffar. The hairstyles that become prevalent amongst them and spread amongst them, then they should not be imitated by the Muslims. And also we know that there are other rules that come into that type of thing. So for the men you have the issue of the qaza, that it's not permissible to shave a part of the head and to leave hair on the other parts of the head. It's not permissible to shave sections of the head and leave hair on other sections. That is an impermissible haram haircut. As for shaving down to a very low grade, for example, grade one, cutting it down to grade one, but then leaving the top long, grade one all around the sides and the back, and leaving the top really long and combed. That is not really a correct hairstyle to have. Because then there is a clear, distinguished difference between the levels of the hair. And that isn't suitable. And that is clearly, obviously, an imitation of the haircuts and the fashions of the models and everything else. Cutting it right down to grade one on the sides and the backs and whatever else. Having a large amount of hair on the top combed. It is not suitable. It is not suitable. And so those types of things, it is known that it is not suitable. You go to any of the elders and see what type of comments they will give you, you'll know if it's a suitable haircut or not. And that is clear. And it is very logical. The mops on top of the heads that the brothers or people do now, where you shave it onto grade one all around the sides and the back, and then you have a big blob still on the top. And that is all combed. But the back and the sides are gone, nothing there, almost bold. 
but grade one. That isn't suitable. Those types of haircuts are not suitable. Should be balanced, the hair as much as possible, balanced in the cut. So if you're going to do a machine, no problem. Try and do it all the same. Grade two all the way around. Grade three all the way around. If you're going to have some imbalance, a small amount, no problem. If it's going to be grade four at the top and two around the sides, okay. That's not huge. But if you're going to leave a huge amount at the top and grade one all the sides and the round at the back, that is a problem then. So the balance of the hair should be as equal as possible around the head for the men. As equal as possible and not made into different shapes and sizes and different things that the people they do that isn't suitable. Imitation of the trends and the fashions of the kuffar. So the hairstyles, it's allowed to cut, it's allowed to have different long, short. But balance them and do not get into this type of differentiation in the levels of the hair upon the head. We move on to the next narration. Hadith of Abu Hurairah. رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ما أنزل الله داء إلا أنزل له شفاء that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not caused or brought about or made any illness except that he has sent down a cure for it. Every disease that exists, Allah has sent down a cure for it. Every disease has its cure. This narration is therefore highlighting to us that all types of illnesses, every type of illness, disease, whether it's internal, externally visible, whatever type of illness and disease, then there are cures that Allah has sent down for all of them. تَذْفَعُ مَا لَمْ يَنْزِلْ وَتَرْفَعُ مَا نَزَلَ بِالْكُلِّيَّةِ أَوْ تَخْفِفُ those cures, as the scholars they say, Whomsoever knows of them, then he knows of them. And whomsoever does not, then he does not. But every disease has a cure. Whether it be cancer or otherwise. Every disease in this hadith, it tells us from Bukhari, Allah has sent a cure somewhere. The cure is there to be found. فِي هَذَا التَّرَغِيبِ فِي تَعَلُّمِ طِبِّ الْأَبْدَانِ So therefore learning about medicine is something beneficial for those who are able and they specialize into that. To learn about that is something beneficial. Just like for example Aisha رضي الله عنها Aisha رضي الله عنها the wife of the Prophet she was known to be somebody qualified in medicine. She was known to be somebody proficient, well-versed and knowledgeable in the field of medicine. So having that knowledge is something good. So Allah has told us here that every disease does have cure. So therefore, mankind, the Muslims in particular, knowing this, we strive to find those cures for the diseases. وَقَدْ كَانَ يَظُنُّ كَثِيرٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ أَنَّ بَعْضَ الْأَمْرَاضِ لَيْسَ لَهُ الدَّوَاءِ In the olden times, people used to think that certain diseases do not have any cure whatsoever. But then when medicine advanced, and the people became more knowledgeable of these affairs, then it started becoming apparent to everyone that certainly all diseases you can find cures for them. And even now as the medicine develops and the understanding of these things develop, they begin to find new cures, cures for things that there were no cures for previously. So that is something which is mentioned in the sunnah that certainly every 
disease there is a cure for it and you have certain things mentioned in the sunnah particularly like the black seed the black seed is mentioned something which is a cure for illnesses as an example of that also certain illnesses or things can be cured by ruqya as a as a cure in fact al-fatiha one of its names is al-shifa the cure al-fatiha cures there's that famous narration about the man who was stung by a scorpion and one of the companions came and narrated surah al-fatiha upon him and he got up completely cured the poison no effect on his body anymore cured by the recitation of al-fatiha upon him so there are certainly cures for all of the diseases and that is mentioned here now in this hadith of sahih al-bukhari and if you go to some of the books of the sunnah sunan at-tirmidhi sunan ibn majah abu daud etc you find chapters in there kitab at-tibb the chapter of medicine in those books of the sunnah sunnah sunan abi daud sunan ibn majah etc you'll find the chapter of medicine and it talks about all of the different types of medicinal practices that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught different uh, ways of cure and ibn al-qayyim and other scholars have even written books completely on the issue of islamic medicine from the quran from the sunnah what we've been taught so that is what this narration mentions here that every disease indeed has a cure one more narration will do today also adab ar-ru'ya this hadith now is going to talk about the topic of dreams the topic of dreams and in particular when somebody has a bad dream or a scary dream nightmare as it is known as otherwise what have we been told islamically regarding dreams you have this hadith of abu qatada radiyallahu anhu qal qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ar-ru'ya as-saliha min allah a righteous good dream that is from allah that is from allah allah sends the angels the good dreams they are from allah وَالْحُلْمُ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ And as for the, the bad dreams, they are from the shaytan. فَإِذَا رَأَى أَحَدُكُمْ مَا يُحِبْ فَلَا يُحَدِّثُ بِهِ إِلَّا مَنْ يُحِبْ So if you have one of the good dreams, then do not narrate that to anybody except the people whom you love. Your good dreams, narrate them to your trusted, beloved ones. That's okay. وَإِذَا رَأَى مَا يَكْرَهُ فَلْيَتَعَوَّذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شَرِّهَا وَمِنْ شَرِّ الشَّيْطَانِ But if you have a bad dream, a nightmare, then seek refuge in Allah. أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ Ask Allah for protection. Seek refuge in Allah from the shaitan and his evil. وَلْيَتْفُلْ ثَلَاثًا Do the spittle three times to your left. وَلَا يُحَدِّثُ بِهَا أَحَدًا And do not speak of it to anyone. If you have a nightmare, a bad dream, seek refuge in Allah, spittle to your left. And do not tell anybody about that dream. فَإِنَّهَا لَن تَذُرَّهُ Because the bad dream will not harm you. With regards to dreams, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, there are three types of dreams. All of the dreams that we have, they are categorized into three types. 
Either the dream that you have is a righteous good dream and that is from Allah. That is the righteous good dream that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second type of dream is the bad dream that is from shaitan. The third type of dream is what? Dreams that are just thoughts. They are just your everyday thoughts. So during the day, you spent the day in London. You happen to have been in London all day yesterday. In the tube, on the train all day. You come back to Bradford that night, you have a dream about... Going on the tube, putting your ticket into the machine, the roller gets stuck, the security guard comes, then you're getting something from the vending machine at the tube station. So in the morning when you wake up, don't text anybody saying, I had the dream that I was in the tube station and the roller wouldn't turn on when I put my ticket in and I couldn't get past, what could that mean? And then afterwards, I was in the tube station, I went to the vending machine and I put the pound in, it was 70p, I didn't get changed. What could that mean? I need to find a sheikh. And to find out what the interpretation of this dream is. The interpretation of that dream is that you were in London yesterday, you were on tubes and trains all day, you were doing all of that stuff all day, so you had a dream about the thoughts and things that were going on. Simple as that. The dream means absolutely Nothing. It is just a casual dream about the thoughts in your subconscious from the things you've been doing. That's it. Majority of dreams are just like that. Majority of dreams are just like that. Random thoughts from things that you saw, heard in your consciousness from the day, from the previous day, something you read, something sticks in your mind and you have a dream about it. Means absolutely nothing. That is one category of dreams. So three altogether. Dreams that are good and righteous. Dreams that are bad from the shaitan. And dreams that mean nothing. Random stuff that you saw or you were doing and you have a dream about it. The majority of people these days, they end up having dreams of that category. And they want to find the shaykh and they want to get interpretation and what could my dream mean? And maybe it means something for my life. And it means absolutely nothing. So these are the three types of dreams. The bad dreams is what we want to talk about here. If you have a bad dream, a nightmare as we say, then what is the sunnah that you're supposed to do? There are different hadith about this that talk on this issue. Some of the points are mentioned here. You seek refuge in Allah. That's one. أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ If you wake up suddenly scared from a bad dream, from a nightmare, so seek refuge in Allah. أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ Number two, spittle to your left also. Spittle three times to your left. That's mentioned in this hadith also. On top of that, there are other narrations that say, you can get up, Make wudu and pray two raka'at. Just two nafal. And then go to sleep again. Another narration also mentions, if you were sleeping for example on your left hand side when you woke up scared, then change over to your right hand side. And if you were already on your right hand side, then change over upwards onto your back. So change the position is mentioned in the sunnah. Spittle to your left. Seek refuge in Allah. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim. Get up, make wudu and pray to raka'at nafal and then go to sleep again. All of those things you can do. And then on top of that, do not discuss that dream with the people. Don't go talking. Don't go talking about that dream to anybody. Mentioning that dream to people. I saw this and that and this was happening and that was happening. And this bad dream, and I saw myself, this happening, that happening. 
Those bad dreams are from the shaitan to fear, to cause you fear. So those bad dreams, you do not speak of them to the people. As for the good dreams, the good dreams, what can we say about them? What can be said regarding the good dreams? Is it possible to see the Prophet ﷺ in a dream? It is possible. How would you know that it was the Prophet ﷺ? We know that the shaitan can take different appearances. In your dream, you may see somebody and it was actually the shaitan messing with you. It wasn't that person you saw in your dream, it was the shaitan taking that appearance. But with the Prophet ﷺ, the shaitan is unable to take the appearance of the Prophet ﷺ. So the shaitan could not come in your dream pretending to be the Prophet ﷺ. So how would you know then that it was the Prophet ﷺ then that you saw in your dream? It goes upon the description. If you see a dream and you think you saw the Prophet ﷺ, then you compare the descriptions of who you saw in your dream to the actual descriptions of the Prophet ﷺ. If they match, then you know it was the Prophet ﷺ you saw. If they do not, a person says he saw somebody in his dream. Well, I'll give you an example of something which actually occurred. A person once narrated a dream and they said, I saw myself in my house in my dream. I was in my house. And in the window, I saw Adam alayhi salam. I saw Adam السلام, looking in. This could not be correct. Why could it not be correct? Because a prophet or messenger wouldn't come peeking into the window of somebody's house, <coughs> into the privacy of somebody's house. So that type of dream, you know it wasn't Adam السلام. With the Prophet ﷺ the same, if you have some dream, in fact there was another good example of a real life example. A woman said she had a dream that she saw the Prophet ﷺ. She said in her dream she saw herself in her bedroom on her bed asleep. In her dream she saw herself in her bedroom. And in that when she was in her bedroom, etc., in bed asleep, that's how she saw herself in her dream. Then in her dream, she sees the Prophet ﷺ come in. So she saw the Prophet ﷺ in her dream, and this was happening in her bedroom, that's how she saw herself in her dream. So now that, again, is not going to be real. Because that scenario is not possible. The Prophet ﷺ and she saw herself in her own bedroom like that, it's not going to be possible. So that isn't going to be correct. And then also with the descriptions. Somebody sees somebody who's clean shaven. That's never going to be the Prophet ﷺ. It cannot be. Even if you were imagining in your dream and thinking and your logic and your mind was telling you this is the Prophet ﷺ in your dream. But it isn't. Because the description of who you saw is definitely not the description of the Prophet ﷺ. So it's all about the nature of the dream and the description that the person sees. But if that matches and it's all good, then it is the Prophet ﷺ. And the third type, like we've already spoken about, al-dhaathu ahlam, which is just the, the mumble-jumble of dreams. The mumble-jumble of dreams, of uh, random things that you see, that does not have an impact upon the affairs 
and it is not something that has any meaning. But the people, they have gone into exaggeration in these affairs. They've gone into extremes with these affairs. Any random dream and they want to have an interpretation. I saw myself getting onto the bus and going into town. I haven't been on a bus in 30 years. Must mean something, I need an interpretation. Not at all, not at all. Maybe when you were stood at the traffic lights that day, there was a bus in front of you and one to the side of you. And it stuck in your head, you had a dream about it that night. That's it. So these random things, there is nothing. People have become obsessed with dreams and interpretations of dreams. And what does this dream mean? And what does that dream mean? And the Sufis have taken it to the level where they believe these dreams are revelation for them. And that they go into paradise at night in these dreams and they see Allah. And all of this is nonsense. The righteous and good dream is good. The bad dream is from shaitan. And the rest of it is the mumble jumble of dreams that do not have any meaning. So that is what this narration tells us. What to do when you see a bad dream. Seek refuge in Allah, spittle to your left, change direction of where you're sleeping, on your right hand side, on your back, etc. Get up and pray two raka'at, and do not talk about that to anyone, because the hadith from the Prophet ﷺ tells us, it is from the shaitan, and it will not harm you. That bad dream you had, it won't harm you. It is from the shaitan, trying to make you scared. So that is the end of that narration. That's where we'll stop for today then. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll carry on from the next narration in the next session in a fortnight. So we'll conclude upon that for tonight unless there's any questions on that. Well, young children, the general rule, رُفِعَ الْقَلَمُ عَنِ الصَّبِيحَ حَتَّى يَبْلُغُ the young child before the age of puberty, the pen is lifted anyhow. And the young child, if he has some bad dream and he comes and he's going to tell his parents, you wouldn't say that he is implied by the narration or a sinner upon that, or that the parents are sinners for listening. A young child, the pen is lifted upon the young child. It is natural for the young child when he has a dream like that, he's going to come and tell his parents scared. So then you explain to the child, you can explain to him, this is from the shaitan, teach the child, the recitations of going to sleep, and that will be a perfect opportunity. If a child has a bad dream and comes scared, so you explain to him about the sunnah and how you protect yourself from those things, teach him ayatul kursi at night, teach him the recitation of the mu'awadat, teach him all of those things and he does those at night and he'll do them. He'll do them now because he had that experience. So, we'll conclude upon that for today then. Inshallah, carry on in two weeks' time. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.